Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. With me as always is the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, a company which has been helping people build their new homes where they want, exactly as they want, across the nation and worldwide since 1993. Steve Tuma. How are you doing, Steve? Excellent today. How are you doing? Good. Everything's going well. Um, I thought today we might change things up a little bit. We talk a lot about the building process of uh, pre, uh, panelized prefab homes. I'd like to talk about the land itself a little bit if you're up for that. Yeah, that's an interesting part because it's actually you know it's a huge component of uh, the building process. Where where are you going to build? What's the land like? Is it flat? Is it on the side of the hill? Is it in the right school district? Right. Is it close to work? All those variety of details. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. Every home needs to be on a piece of land, <laughs> so I guess it is important. So let's just say as a customer, uh, how do I know my land is good for building? I mean, what do I need to know? Well, that's a, an interesting situation because there's a, a variety of concerns. First, you have to know that it's legal to build on its zoned right. The setbacks are right. And it, you know, so those, there's details like that for the building department and zoning department. But then there's other details like, hey, is it in the right school district? Is it close mm-hmm. to whatever you need for your life? You know, churches, schools, shopping. Maybe you want to be away from all those items, and you want to be out, out in, the, in, in a rural area. So a lot of a lot of it is just, do you like it? You know, is it in the place? Does it work? Is it, does it work in the budget? Is it the type of land you're looking for? Um, some parts of the country, there's a lot of land available. Other parts, it's very limited. So you have to kind of give and take. Or you know, work off of what's available at the time. Mm-hmm. But the the key thing is once you find that piece of land that you like and and works for for what you want to do is making sure that the zoning's right that you can build a single family home there. You don't necessarily want to build it in the middle of an industrial complex or something. So you want to make sure that it's zoned properly for um, a single family home or duplex if that's what you're intending to build. Mm-hmm. But within there, there's details um, like building setbacks. You, you you might notice if you go down a neighborhood, you'll see that all the houses, the front of the houses are on the same, kind of same line. Mm-hmm. They're 20 feet back or 30 feet back. If you're in a rural area, you know, if you're building on a couple acres, it might be hard to, to do that because people might build farther than the setback. But let's take the example of if you're building in a, a city lot, say a, a lot that's 50 by 100 feet, just a perfect rectangle, there might be a 20-foot setback in the front. So nothing from the front of your house can be closer than 20 feet to the front lot line. Mm-hmm. So then if it's 50 feet wide and you've got a 10-foot setback to each side, 10 times 2 is 20, less the 50, that leaves you 30 feet that you can build on. And mm. say the, the setback in the back is 20 feet, so you've got 20 feet in the front, 20 feet in the back, 40 feet total, less the 100-foot depth of the lot, is uh, 60 feet that you can have. So in that particular situation, you can have a home up to 30 by 60 feet and so that it fits within the building footprint, Got the it. building building envelope. Now, to add complexity to that, sometimes some communities will say, hey, you can only have a 30% lot coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want your lot covering, you know, corner to corner. They want to have some green space, space for yards, space for kids to play, just visually appealing situations. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a situation that you just want to make sure that the house that you want to build is on there. If you want to, you know, if you're in the city and you've got a 50 by 100 lot, you're not likely to be able to build a 50 foot wide house on there. Right. 
Now, we can work with you to make that lot usable, you know, come up with a different design and make sure that it that it works out. So those those are the big issues are the building setbacks to make sure that it works um, so that your your house can fit on there. Make sure there's space for driveways, sidewalks, garages, uh, different little areas uh, that that's the important part is just make sure that that it fits for for the regulations like the zoning now, there are also situations where you've got to look at land and uh you know is it sloped or flat you know in different situations like that to make sure that the house fits because if you want a, a house on a let's say on the side of a hill you might be able to work a walkout basement into it mm-hmm. you know in some in some areas the land you know if you go into the southwest people are typically more building on slabs so there's a lot of details that we can help you look into to make sure that the house fits the regulations for the, the land, but also just makes sense to be on the land. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that a lot of people should take a look at. Um, and a lot of places with mountains where people want to protect views and do different stuff, they, uh, they might be height restrictions. Mm-hmm. So if you're in an area, a lot of places in Colorado and California will have this where they don't want you to build a house so tall that your neighbor can't take advantage of the view. Right. So what's interesting about these, a lot of people say, all oh, these regulations, it's just hard, it's hard, how do I know? Well, a lot of these are there to maintain the value of your the community and therefore your home. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a properly planned community, the house, the housing stock looks good, the community feels good, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be more inviting for someone who wants to buy your home when it comes to the time... That you need to sell it. Mm-hmm. It's funny you said you know you've got to make sure your design makes sense for that for your plot of land. Um, how what is that process? How can I be sure that my design my home will fit on the land? I mean, people have been telling me I've been hearing about setbacks and things like that, but but how do I know my my design will actually fit where I want to build? Well, that's something that that we can help you at Landmark. We can go through and you know if you have an idea, you say, hey, I'm buying this land and. You know, here here are the dimensions. We could check the setbacks. We could check the zoning. We could check different uh, regulations, the lot coverage, and all those things. So it's not something where you can just go out there and there's a quick one, two, three question. Sometimes you got to look at the design of your home because even though someone could say the lot is buildable, is it buildable for the house that you choose to build? Mm-hmm. Is I think where where we become concerned and want to make sure that that it works together. Because mm-hmm. like like that example of the the house that I told you, the the lot we just discussed, the 50 by 100 lot, where you would have a buildable footprint of 30 by 60, if you said, hey, I want a garage to the side of my house, mm-hmm. and the house is 20 feet wide, well, of the 30 foot width you're, you have available, that leaves you a 10 foot wide house. Mm-hmm. You have to figure a particular design <laughs> to, to make that work, or maybe you've got to go with a two-story home. So right. that overall planning is something that that we can help you with and we've got the experience and we can you know do site plans get details worked out so so that it goes through um oddly enough there are general rules of thumb that can work but we've had some building departments that say the setback is to the edge of your house mm-hmm. others say it's to the edge of the overhang at your house and then others have said if you have gutters on your house it goes to the edge of the gutter uh-huh. the farthest protruding right and then if you end up in other situations, like we've got some projects in Lake Tahoe, where you can have a house, the second level, overhang. It can cantilever. Mm. 
beyond the setback as if it was on the ground. Mm -hmm. So that example that I told you of a 30 by 60 house, you could cantilever to the front, giving you a bigger footprint on the second level. So sometimes these regulations, community by community or subdivision by subdivision, can change and they, they can get a little intricate and you know we we can help out that's part of the site plan work and properly designing your home to make sure that you've got a set of plans that are that are good for you to submit for permits mm -hmm. now I, i've heard and, and read that you know i may need uh soil testing on my you know before i can even build a, a one for my i guess my septic system and one for construction so explain the difference i mean what are they well, that's really interesting. There's there's a couple types of soil tests. Mm -hmm. You know, generally people say, well, I have a soil test, and I'll be like, well, what's it for? And they'll be like, I don't know, some guy came out and took a soil <laughs> test. So we'll, we'll break it down in general for the, the specifics. If your house is in a septic system, they'll need a, a test. It old times called percolation, perk test, where they drop water in the hole and see how long it takes to drop. Well... They found out that's not always accurate because of seasonal water table. So they actually take a boring of the soil and test it and get and get an idea of the makeup of the soil to know how water will transfer through it for the purpose of a septic. So if you take clay, Steve, if you've ever been in a clay field, you could drop water on it and it'll puddle there. Mm -hmm. And it could take a long time for it to seep through. But if you're on a beach and you spilled water, it seems to be instantly gone in the sand. Right. So different soils have different uh, capabilities for transferring the fluid, which then would they kind of reverse design it to figure out how big your septic field is and, and go back to see how much space that you need. So that septic test is very important, or the soil test for the septic is very important to make sure that your septic system's properly designed. Mm. Now for construction, there's two others, a geotechnical report and a geological report. The geological report tells the makeup of the soil, of the ground below you. What type of rocks, what type of this, what, what's happening. It's not that often that those are requested unless you're like on a fault line or something on, on the West Coast. The one that's more typically um, requested is a geotechnical report. And that basically tells you the strengths of the soils. So, for for simple purpose, everyone's probably walked on a rock, you know, a big piece of granite in a mountain or somewhere. That's that's extremely strong. Okay, but if you took that same person and you put them, say, at the edge of a farm, a pond, you know, where there's muck, mm -hmm. a regular person will sink just standing there. So there's obviously different strengths to those soils. So and and the muckier soil. You know, you're going to sink. So that's a weaker soil. Something like granite, which is you know, literally rock solid, <laughs> you're not going to sink. It's got a stronger strength. Mm -hmm. So the geotechnical report takes a boring in the soil to find the strength of your soils. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, I drove my truck on there and it didn't sink at all. Well, that's probably true. But, you know, what's going on two feet down, three feet down? And when you have a house sitting on it, what, what's going on. So the geotechnical report tells the strengths of the soil so that a structural engineer can make sure that the weight is properly supported uh, for your new home. Mm. Now, here's the trick. 
a lot of places, the building departments, you say, hey, do you need a geotechnical report? They'll be like, what's that? You know, they don't ask for it a lot. Generally, where it's really, really requested is uh, places with mountains or varied soils, expansive soils. Some soils in different conditions can expand and heave a basement floor or heave a foundation. Mm -hmm. So generally, where those are more requested are, you know, places where you need the engineer stamp plans. Hurricane areas, earthquake areas, mm. high snow load areas, uh, expansive soil areas. So you've it's it's an interesting situation because a lot of people call their building department and they'll be like, no, you don't need a geotechnical report. Well, then later to find out that if there's a problem with the soil conditions, they do because right. they need to verify what's there. So mm. I... I consider a geotechnical report to be a pretty important situation if you're in an area where you've got varied soils, you're not sure of the strength of the soils, and it's also uh, for landslide situations if you're in mountain ranges and things like that. So um, generally, your building department will request one if it's if it's an area that has any of these conditions where there where it's important to have it. I always kind of tell people, hey, if your building department says, hey, you might need it, I'd say get it. You know, for the the the, the cost of the geotechnical report, it's I don't want to call it insurance, but it's kind of a good you know allows you to sleep at night knowing knowing that your foundation is designed properly and the foundation supports the house. So. Yeah, well, it'll make sense. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about homeowners associations, if you don't mind. And uh, if I'm I'm coming into a situation where you know i don't know anybody there and building a house in a certain area and they have a an hmo um what's the best way to how do i best work with a homeowners association before i start building well homeowners associations generally uh, if they're active it's recorded with your deed so when you purchase the land you should get a copy of the homeowner association requirements and what the homeowners associations try to do is maintain a certain uniformity of the homes now, some of these homeowners associations will be simple. They'll, they'll say, "Hey, you can't farm. You know, you can't have a farm on your land, or hey, mm-hmm. you you got to have a house of at least fifteen hundred square feet, or the house must have a two car garage." Sometimes they're very simple. Other times they're extremely intricate. Mm-hmm. We talked about setbacks a little earlier. The city or county may have minimum setbacks, but the homeowners association may have setbacks that are even more restrictive. Mm-hmm. You know, they want bigger lawns in the front or houses farther apart or whatever it would be to give a certain feel in the community. But they they may also go through there and say, hey, you can only have ranch homes or you must have earth tone colors or you must have a three car garage or your house must be of a certain overhang or or must have a certain overhang. Or they may say, hey, no modulars. Mm, They may not say no modulars, but you can't truck two halves of a house in or whatever. They, there might be restrictions there on on how and what you can build, and generally they're they're pretty cooperative groups. They're just wanting to make sure that the community is built to a uh, certain standard. Mm-hmm. Some are very informal. Sometimes it's just the owner. You call them up. You give them your plans. Sit down, have a cup of coffee with them, and he signs it or makes adjustments. Other times they're they're more formal, where there's a meeting once a month, and you've got to prepare and you know, communicate with them what's going on and show samples of the finishes and colors. The key to it is no matter what the homeowners association requests, we can go through, put the details on the plans 
and make sure that you're prepared for it so that you could present them the proper set of plans and then they can move on to approve it. Mm. You know, we touched earlier on height restrictions. How how, how uh, often do, does a homeowner run into that kind of thing or, you know, when where they want to build? Is that like pretty common? Well, that's great you brought that up because there's also restrictions, the physical restrictions on, you know, where it makes sense to build. Right. You know, the, the types of materials. So uh, in a lot of places, they'll do that. Um, sometimes there's restrictions because of something going on in a community like an airport. Mm-hmm. Other times it's to allow visibility. Other times it's just to keep a certain look in the community so that, uh, you know, it's a certain style home. So, And then there's other portions where, you know, wood homes generally go three, four stories. So if someone wants to build an eight-story home, they might have to get into the different types of uh, of, of construction methods. But the height restrictions are kind of interesting because a lot of people go through and say, oh, you know, they just don't want me to build a tall home. And some of these communities, they'll go through and have height restrictions with some pretty intricate calculations to make sure that the sun can come into the community. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So all of us have been in, you know, say old towns or city centers Mm -hmm. where they have these row houses that are just stacked. Mm -hmm. No light comes in. Right. You don't get light in your backyard or your front yard or the front porch or in your window. Mm. That can affect people. So a lot of these height restrictions also dictate how you calculate the height so that sunlight can get over and around through your house into your yard and also allow sun into your neighbor's yard. Yeah, I never even thought about that. It's it's it, That's a great thing that you brought up again because it's a... Uh, it's it's a pretty deep subject. Originally, it's it's just you know it sounds simple. Hey, you don't want to block your neighbor's view, or hey, they don't want hundred foot houses in a community ranch home. You know, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. But it's it's uh, for breezes, it's for sunlight, and I I think all of us will agree. It's nice to have a sunny yard. Yeah. It's nice to get sun in your in into your windows. It's nice to get a breeze into your windows. Right. So, so. I mean, you said it was a deep subject or it could be a tall tale. <laughs> <laughs> so I, one other thing I'd like to hit on, I hope you don't mind before you go, is uh, um, is it harder to build on a sloped piece of land? Because I was looking at a piece of land that had kind of a slant to it. And uh, overall, how does uh, the topography affect my home design? Well, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, the, simplic- the simple answer is if, if you have a flat, home, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, a flat house, Mm -hmm. it's just easier to access the land. It's easier to put a foundation in. There there really aren't chances of landslides. Chances are it's more of a stable type of a ground. Mm -hmm. So it's generally easier to build on the flat piece of land. But what's happening is a lot of people live in mountain areas or different areas where there's hills. They want to take advantage of land. So the slope piece of land presents opportunities for walkout basements, different views, different home designs. Mm-hmm. But in general, yeah, if you're building on a hill, it might cost a little more just because of the physical location of building on the hill, but also the foundation design that has to go into it. So I'll wrap in, you know, a couple minutes ago, we were talking about geotechnical reports. Hills can have a, diff- a variety of different makeup of the soils within them. They could be granite, they could be soft soils, they could be uh, a whole different types of situations they could be expansive soils there could be hydrostatic forces from water different situations so they they can flatland can do the same thing but 
and and the side of a hill you just get into more intricate situations and stepping foundation so steve let's just take the example of if you were to build a ranch home mm-hmm. in a a flat field you could just excavate for a a slab a crawl space or a basement if you did it on the side of a hill took that exact same house you had a walkout basement you'd have to design the foundation to step out of the side of the hill mm-hmm. to, to 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 make that work also on hills you might have different situations on where you can put septics if you're in an area of a, that 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 requires septic. So there is a little more complexity to it. But on the other side, some of these can be stunning homes with stunning views, you know, that are really, really, really neat homes. So to design on the side of a hill, you know, there's a difference. If you're like in southern Indiana or Kentucky, that hill is one thing. Then you go to the Rockies or the Sierras. That's a whole. That's a mountain, right? You know, so there's a different concept in the slope. But basically, we can work in all those. We just get some topographical details, which just show the topography, the land. Is it flat? Is there a hill? Is it flat on one part with a hill or a mountain on the other? And then we figure out the best place to um, to build a house in, into the the land right. for the particular person's use. So a lot of this really depends on. Your lifestyle, what you choose to do, and and your availability of of land. Sweet. Well, that's going to about do it for this episode of the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. Uh, Steve, if you don't mind, give us uh, the info on how one would would contact you at Landmark Home and Land Company. Uh, the best way to contact us is just uh, you can t- take a look at our website. It's LHLC.com, kind of like the initials of Landmark Home Land Company. Mm -hmm. So LHLC.com. You can always call uh, at 800-830-9788. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. You you can find us there. But, you know, we're, we're accessible. We enjoy talking to people, reviewing their project. I kind of call it doing your homework up front. Find out who our customer is. They can find out about us and... We can kind of have a preliminary conversation to see, uh, you know, how, how we can help them. All sounds great to me. Well, thank you once again, everyone, for joining us for the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. And for um, the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, Steve Tuma, and myself, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>